Welcome back, listeners. We are here for season two of the Caffeinated Innovation Podcast. I know you missed us, so, you know, refrain from crying a little bit with your excitement and joy that we're back. It was a long and cold winter, uh, but... In Pittsburgh. I know, in Ooh. Pittsburgh. Ugh. But we had a lot of fun over the winter, right? Mm-hmm. We we did a few bonus episodes. We did one with Clara Sieg. Yes, great episode. We did an episode, Just the Two of Us, which was comical. Just the two of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah just the two of us, exactly. <laughs> and then we did an episode during Pittsburgh's Inclusive Innovation Summit. We did with a couple of entrepreneurs, and they were wonderful. I I love the live episodes. I love our recorded episodes, too, but the live episodes are just so fun. You don't – you have no idea what's going to happen. Generally speaking, everyone's pretty well behaved. <laughs> and caffeinated, and, so it's yeah, fine. It is. Everyone is caffeinated. And we seem to be recording always in the mornings when we do those live episodes, which may be on brand and may just be on accident, but it's working for the brand of caffeinated innovation. That is very true. And any, and we end up recording these in the afternoon. Yeah. I wonder if our audience knows, like, can notice the difference. Are we – I don't know. I'm caffeinated also in the afternoon, so – <laughs> I'm always full of energy and yeah, caffeine, yeah. so who knows? Yeah. But well, anyway, listeners, we are so excited to be back for season two. What's most exciting? Well, maybe not most, but a very exciting piece. Lots of things are exciting. Uh, we have a producer this season. We are working with the one and only Sorgatron Media out of Beachview. We're very happy to have them joining us. From our perspective, Jen and I are just not great editors. Oh my gosh. Last season was so tough, but I feel like now I can say, you know, I edited a podcast. Yes. We produced a podcast. We did. We produced a podcast. In that voice. We produced a podcast. Exactly. So I think it was quite the accomplishment for both of us and in particular for Jen who really learned how to do the editing. Mm -hmm. But we we feel so fortunate to have Mike and the team joining us this year. And for listeners, again, you know, I'm still Pam Eichenbaum from the BizDev team. And I'm still Jen Van Dam drinking bougie caffeine and I'm on the marketing team. So we bring back season two with a whole collection of episodes This season is going to be a little different than the first season. The first season, you know, we interviewed the companies we've supported or invested in either from the startup perspective or from the manufacturing perspective since we, of course, serve all nine counties in southwestern Pennsylvania. We support manufacturers, innovation through manufacturing. We support startups, tech-based, particularly startups in the hardware, software, and life science space. We'll do the same thing this season, but we're going to take the approach a little differently. We last season made sure to have someone from the IW team in partnership with each of the founders this year. We're we're shedding the security blanket, if you will. And <laughs> of we're, our colleagues. Yeah, of our colleagues. <laughs> we have the founders here with us on their own, which quite confident and quite excited to showcase all of their great talents and skills and their stories. And we're also going to look at things a little differently in the lens of innovation, right? We'll still interview a few companies from our portfolio. We're also going to interview two legislators from the state of Pennsylvania, right, from the Commonwealth, to understand how, from their perspective, we'll have a Democrat and a Republican together. Don't worry, everyone's (laughs) well-behaved. To learn how innovation and entrepreneurship are a priority in Harrisburg. We're going to hear from some of our colleagues, actually, as well, about some newer programs on the team and how we're infusing that into the innovation space. I think we just have this um, idea of we're really supporting and showing how um, the entrepreneurship ecosystem in southwestern Pennsylvania supports each other. We're going beyond our portfolio of entrepreneurs and our team, and we're talking to the broader community. And I think that's a really exciting thing. And I hope that um, as our listeners, you'll keep listening and and will enjoy this new direction that we're going in. That's great. Jen, yeah, you, you put it so well as this collaborative effort of the region. So to get us started for this first episode of the season, we are so excited to have a founder and a friend of both of ours, Courtney Williamson from Abila Life. So Courtney, before we get into our actual interview about Abila Life and all the great things, right? We start every episode off with all of our with all of our guests, season one, and we will do the same in season two. 
what is your favorite form of caffeine or or pick me up, if you will? Um, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, my favorite form of caffeine, I think, is a chai latte. Ooh, yeah. yeah. And I like I actually had no idea what a chai latte was. And I was at a conference, like a medical device conference, and they were giving out chai lattes in the middle of the afternoon, just as a pick me up. And I was just like, I have no idea what that is, but it's free. So as an <laughs> entrepreneur, like you never turn free things down. And I like took a drink and I just like loved it. So um, I typically like working out of like Starbucks. I just like kind of sitting in the coffee shop and working. So I like, I favor Starbucks um, chai latte. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, and I don't need like a super big, cup just mm-hmm. like a, a nice small cup will do I try not to drink too much caffeine I try to drink a lot of water but that's definitely my favorite I love a good love chai mm-hmm. mm. Jen what is your favorite form of caffeine so I'll go back to this winter what I was drinking and I was just doing a straight a cappuccino so um actually thinking about a conference I went to Grace Hopper in Houston. I was there in the fall and um, they had free cappuccinos and they had the ones where like they would print your face on it. I forget which company was doing it, but it was really cool. And so that just put me on to cappuccinos. I feel like I would have to go through my whole like camera roll, but if I find it, I'll tweet it out. Um, I want to see But that was so much fun. And so – but I love – I think it just makes me feel fancy to drink a cappuccino with like the bubbles, but it's just regular. It's pretty much regular coffee with bubbles on top. <laughs> so anyway, that's mine. I love it. It's it's so fancy. Right? It's fancy, but not. It's right? fancy. I, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> Pam, what are you drinking? So my tried and true is an Earl Grey tea, iced, hot, desserts, whatever, but since this is the first episode of the season, I, I'll throw listeners a bone here. And, you know, in the winter, I still drink their old gray tea, but I really enjoy a cup of hot chocolate on the weekends. Mm-hmm. It's a little too much sugar for me during the week. But on the weekends, if I'm sitting with a book or I'm doing a little work on the weekend or hanging out with, you know, watching a movie, get myself a little hot chocolate, put a little almond milk in it. Delicious, delicious way to stay awake mm-hmm. while I'm doing – Movie time, work time, reading a book, any of it. So not super exciting, but that's okay. That and is, and sometimes even I like to put in the holiday time, I'll put a candy cane in it. So there's a little peppermint flavor. See, with, that's fancy. With the hot chocolate. And I'm not a big – That's Food Network fancy. Is it? Yeah. I just – I love anything mint chocolate or peppermint chocolate, whichever. And so that's a it's a great way to have both together. Generally the candy cane gets probably thrown out after. But I just had this really <laughs> random thought though. So if you put ice in hot chocolate, does that just make it chocolate milk? And I can't imagine you as a person who would just drink chocolate milk. As a child I drank quite a bit of chocolate. Did you? Milk. And yes, and I actually do enjoy, you know, a bunch of the I guess non-traditional or alternative milk creators, whatever. Uh, As a lactose intolerant person, (laughs) I drink a lot of almond milk. But they make chocolate almond milk. So it is. So you do. It is. But I consider that to be healthier because it's nut-based. So so there is some protein. Don't argue with me. (laughs) There's a little protein in there. (laughs) Anyway, let's get to the reason we are here other than our weird drinking habits of caffeine and Clearly almond milk. Anyway, so Courtney, tell us about Abilo Life. Give us the the elevator pitch up front, and then let's get into why and how and when. Yep. Abilo Life is a medical device company, and we design products to improve quality of life for neuromuscular patients. So that's just basic elevator pitch. Um, we were founded in 2014 and, um, a life was founded out of a need that my family actually had. 
So um, I moved to Pittsburgh for Carnegie Mellon. I um, was pursuing a PhD at the Tupper School of Business in organizational behavior and theory. And so my sort of dream and goal was to become a research professor, um, teach MBA students and undergrad students, as well as do research. Um, but my mom had Parkinson's for about 20, 23 years at that time. And her posture and her balance were decreasing over time because of her disease. So one day I, I called the National Parkinson's Foundation and just basically asked them, well, what are the solutions available? What can I buy? Um, and they said, well, we know about this problem, but the thing is that we don't have anything that we would recommend that's on the market. Um, and so I just thought there had to be some sort of solution. So Carnegie Mellon is known for its engineering. Um, <clears throat> so I got linked up with uh, Project Olympus, which is the the startup incubator at Carnegie Mellon, and was like, I just, I need access to some of your engineers. And they're like, well, the prerequisite for talking with us is you have to write like a one page sort of business analysis, which I had never done personally because I was doing research, but I knew enough about how to, how to go about that. So then I, I was really shocked because I found that there's like 1.5 million Parkinson's patients in America. I think there's about 10 million worldwide and 70 to 90% of them have the problem that my mom had. Um, so at that point, I was like, I can't believe there's nothing on the market. So I spent about a year researching and trying to figure out like, what could, how could I build something? Um, I work with the capstone course at Carnegie Mellon. And at that point, I realized that this could really be a business. Um, and so then I reached out to Alana Diamond um, at Alpha Lab Gear, and I, I told her about what I was doing, um, and she was so supportive. But I think the biggest why was because, like, my family had a, a problem, and I just I couldn't find any other solutions. And believe me, like, I really wanted to find an off-the-shelf solution because it would have been a lot easier than starting a company. Um, but I think that that, that – that part of like not wanting to see a loved one in pain and feeling that you might be able to do something to alleviate that pain. That's what that drove me to, to start my company. So what does that leap look like going from you're in school, um, you know, you're a caregiver to your mom. You've been doing this for many years. Um, you have this trajectory, you have this plan in your head and then you decide nope, I'm going to become an entrepreneur and I'm going to create this thing to help my mom, help people like my mom and help people like yourself, right? Caregivers, this definitely helps caregivers. Um, so can you talk about that leap? Like what was the, I guess your aha moment or the thing that clicked in your head that was like, all right, I'm just going to do this. Yeah. Um, so last month I was privileged enough to do a TEDx talk in Pittsburgh um, and that's exactly what I talk about. So I'll give you just the three, the top three tips that I had. So the first one is understand that I had a unique perspective as a caregiver. So I don't have an engineering background at all. And I even joke that I I have a hard time building Ikea furniture. Like it's really bad. Me too. It's really bad. So I, I but I, I had 25 years of experience um, with it, being a caregiver with my mom. So before she passed away, that was pretty much all I knew. And so I knew that the market it was missing something that maybe doctors or physical therapists, while they knew that the problem existed, maybe that was not their like most pressing issue because for them, I mean, we have so many brilliant researchers and doctors trying to find a cure or finding better therapies or, or um, there's so many things that they're doing. And I knew that that was maybe not at the top of their list of things to do, but I knew from a caregiver's perspective, like how important that was. And so then the second step was test everything. So test your assumptions. So I did not go into this thing. Like I'm going to start a business. Like the first thing I did was like, does this exist already? And you better make sure it does not, because if it does, then you're kind of wasting time. So I realized that it, it did not. I talked to a lot of credible sources. Then it was, okay, well then talk to doctors and patients. Do they want this to exist? Because some things don't exist because they, they don't need to. So just because there's a gap in the market doesn't mean you need to rush and fill it. 
that maybe it just doesn't need to exist because it just doesn't need to. But I found that that's actually was not the case at all, that patients wanted this, that doctors really wanted it. And and I knew that if I could create a solution, that it would be used. Um, so I tested that. Then I tested the materials that we were using. I tested whether the device actually worked. We went through about 15 different iterations over a year's time. That was before going to manufacturing, which maybe we did three different iterations on top of that to make sure that everything worked. Um, so that was the second part is test your assumptions, test everything. And then the last part is never forget your why. So in the middle of this six months after I founded my company, my mom passed away. Um, and so that was like such a driving force for me because it was, it's so easy to get bogged down in the day to day and it still is easy to get bogged down, but just the why of being able to talk to patients who actually use the product day in and day out, that's really the why and the reason why. So, um, yeah, that that's that's sort of how I took that leap of faith. I think for me, it's also been very important to keep um, my faith um, in Christ. That's been like the center because this is so outside of my comfort zone. Um, I had to learn Medicare guidelines and insurance reimbursement, and I've gone and presented in front of the FDA, in front of a panel. Like these are things that I was not trained for per se. But that's the path of this has led me down. So um, immense amount of prayer and meditation about what I'm doing because it really is impacting people's lives. It's not something to be taken lightly. Um, so so that's that's how I, I took that leap. But I would say for people, there's a bit of romanticism, I think, around entrepreneurship and startups. Um, and I think that that is to the detriment of people who actually have some great ideas, but the hype around it, it's difficult to see like what's real versus what's fake. And I think the biggest thing is you have to have something that, that actually is needed, like actually a pain point and you have to test everything. Don't just build in a bubble, um, and then understand why you're doing it and make that authentic. So interestingly, Courtney, you you went through and explained so much of the entrepreneurial process, right? You you identified a problem personal for you, right? And you really focused on that problem and you still have the why throughout. And it sounds like you did a lot of customer discovery before even being told to do the customer discovery. So how did you know to do that? Well, I I think from that point, it was my PhD training. So you you there's a saying, um, in God we trust, all others bring data, right? You you just you can't just go off on, oh, this is what I think. Well, that's a hypothesis. Then you have to bring data to test that. So there was no way as a social scientist that I would be able to just kind of go off on a tangent without having um, so proof. So what I did was ended up like interviewing over 100 at, at the time, like when I first started, over 100 patients, caregivers, doctors, and just ask them questions. And then that would lead to other sets of questions. And then speaking with other people going to support groups um, and the, the Parkinson's Foundation of Western PA has been tremendously supportive over the years. And so they've just sort of embraced me and allowed me to come to support groups and ask questions and get feedback. So I think that that's the biggest thing is that if you haven't talked with patients, um, if that's, if you're in a medical sort of life science space, um, I think that's that's a huge detriment. I went to a conference like maybe four years ago and there was, uh, it was, the first time this conference had researchers like who research um, Parkinson's disease and finding cures and treatments, and then the patients were actually invited for the first time. Um, this is mostly sort of like a heavy research centric centric um, conference. So there was a researcher who's kind of wandering over near the patient section, and I thought she was lost. And, um, she, like the bathrooms are kind of hidden away. So I thought that like, everyone was kind of lost going to the bathroom. So I thought she needed help there. She's like, no, I'm fine. I've just never met a Parkinson's patient before. And you have to figure this woman was probably in her late forties, early fifties, which meant that she spent her entire career at least 30 years, at least studying Parkinson's or being in medicine and had never met a Parkinson's patient. Wow. And to me, that was like astonishing. And I think that if you look at entrepreneurship, you'd be surprised at how many people are building solutions for people they've never spoken to. 
I um I remember when I first started at Alpha Lab and that was your first cycle at Alpha Lab Gear or your cycle at Alpha Lab Gear and I remember seeing patients, right? Like from, you know, that first, you know, couple of weeks, you were already having patients come in, you were interviewing them. I remember seeing them try on the brace. Um, and I remember actually thinking like, wow, like the work that I get to do to support this entrepreneur is really important. And that was one of the first, you know, moments where I was like, I really love my job. Um, like seeing the the work that you were doing. And I remember um, there was actually a woman who her husband had Parkinson's and we bonded because she had gone to Chatham like a long time ago. Um, And we were just talking about that. And yeah, so like that is just really interesting that there are people who, you know, are creating medical devices or working on these things and not really getting in touch with who the patient is. Yeah, I think that um, at Abella Life, patients come first. Like everything that we do, all of our procedures, policies, guidelines, um, down to the marketing, customer feedback, customer service, everything is about the patients. I mean, that's that's why it started because of one patient, because of my mom. So, um, you know, I think like just for people listening um, whether you're an entrepreneur or you are working in a startup or or if even if it's an established, you know, so Fortune 500 company, it doesn't really matter. Um, I think the point is that making sure you actually know and understand who it is you're helping um, is, is a huge part of, of, of what um, what leads to success. That's great. So, Courtney, let's let's talk a little bit about the team, mm-hmm. the Abilla Life team. Who else is making magic with you every day? Yeah. So um, I mentioned I have an organizational behavior background. So I do have, I have my PhD from, from, um, from the business school. And one of the things that I learned is how important team is in, to, in terms of success. But I also understand um, there's a huge cost benefit analysis that I think personally, so if you look at OB literature and if you look at what VCs are saying, it's actually incorrect. So you'll go to a pitch competition and these are like people who just started like a month ago, two months ago, even a year ago. Okay, well, who's on your team? Well, OB literature suggests that teams take quite a bit of time to actually form. And particularly when you're building um, something in a sort of creative setting or you're creating something, you're forming something, turnover, meaning that team members come in and out, is actually much better for the development of something than it is um, to have a steady sort of team. And I knew that going in. So I purposely built my team very lean in terms of the core team that works day in and day out. And then in order to sort of um, facilitate that turnover, I guess, if you will, we work with contractors to support us because while I've been in business since 2014, we're still a young company and we're still growing and iterating. So for instance, we have our Brace um, which I don't think I, I so so the product that we have is the Calibrace Plus. It's a, a patented orthotic back brace specifically designed for Parkinson's patients and patients who have trouble sitting and standing up straight. So we have a pulley tensioning system that lifts your shoulders up and back and gives you support. Um, and it is patented. It's um, covered by insurance as well. And we're in over 40 states now. Um, and we've had like 178 clinicians write prescriptions for the brace. So we get the brace manufactured in Ohio. So we don't do the manufacturing. Um, we work with a contracted team to do digital marketing for us. There's another team that does content marketing. Um, and then the uh, our, my team member, Joanna, who is in the office with me, she does all of our medical billing. So that's sort of how I've, I've sort of... Um, 
built that and everyone except for Joanna and I were co- were, were co-located so we're in Pittsburgh but everyone else is just all around the nation um and I've even worked with contractors that are overseas um so for us that's been incredibly helpful as we're building what we need because one of the things that I think is difficult when you're starting out is that you don't really know what it is that you need and roles shift, roles change. So um, that's one of the things that I'm I'm happy that I, I went against the grain and was not um, sort of paranoid about needing to sort of build this big team. Um, I think at the beginning when I started at Alpha Lab Gear, it was really helpful to have um, some team members around to sort of like just get kind of wrap your arms around what it was that we were doing. But it was interesting because over time I realized that those functionalities were not actually what's in, what was needed. And that's when I really started diving deeply into insurance reimbursement because I realized from the feedback that I got from patients is that they had a sort of payment threshold where after a certain point, they were either unwilling or unable to pay for the product. And so it really needed to be reimbursed. So looking around at my team, no one, including myself, we had no knowledge of of insurance reimbursement. Um, And that was not their sort of area of expertise. And so um, you know, we sort of went our separate ways. But I think that for startups, and I, I really wish that I would see more VCs and, and just more people in the entrepreneur space savvy about team formation and what that actually means and what it takes, because it's total wrong advice. Just these are this is like empirical data that you just should not have. The team that you start with is not the team that you're going to end up with. That's really good advice for, you know, for entrepreneurs who are thinking through this right now and you know that you're going to pivot and and that's the same thing with your company right your team and your company things are going to change and that often needs to happen for the good of the company so you talked a little bit about um Medicare and private insurance um I also know that your um the Calibrate Plus is prescribed by physicians um how did you get to that point? Like, I can only imagine, right, that working with Medicare, which is government, private insurances, physicians, is difficult um, and a long process. And so, as you say, with like your lean team, how did you mm-hmm. get to that point? Nine months, 60 emails, and two inspections later. I had the ability to uh, be a medical provider through Medicare, which then gave me authorization to process claims um, as a provider. So we went through that long process, and that was not the so the process to get a code for the brace. I think let's see, that was three submissions and about a year. So, yeah, I mean, the infrastructure needed um, was pretty substantial in terms of just the length of time and understanding. And we would read those lengthy documents um, from government. But I think that we did it because of the purpose of wanting to provide patient access. That was the entire point. Um, because it wasn't fair, I thought, to have a product on the market that patients didn't have access to. So this provides them the opportunity to be able to say, hey, this is my insurance. Does it cover it? And it's case by case. But we were able to train ourselves in understanding the rules and regulations of Medicare, as well as um, commercial insurance to understand whether a patient or not would you know, be able to get reimbursed for the product. Yeah. Courtney, it's so many steps, right? Yeah. Like listening, I'm I'm overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. How do you stay focused and and committed to the each and every step, right? I mean, it's yeah. a lot. Well, I actually just recently started working with this app called Monday. Do you guys it's like a pr- no. like a productive app. It's very cool. So you can use it on your desktop. I should use that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. On your desktop and then there's one that's on your phone and it basically gives you the opportunity to do like a brain dump and just like dump all the things you have to do. And then it prioritizes, you can assign different tasks to people. And so I think for me, it was just kind of like, 
steps one, two, three, like kind of putting things in order and, and pushing forward. I think the other part too is that people, and it's it's difficult to understand like with the passing of time, you feel like you're not getting far. But if you just stick with it, over time, things will continue to move. So if you come and make a commitment every day, you're going to work on your company, then things will continue to, to make progress. It doesn't feel that way often. Um, so that's why, I mean, I think I'm, I want to get better at celebrating the wins that we have because it's so easy to kind of get bogged down. But, you know, if I have a difficult claim that we're processing, but remembering the time when I had no ability to process claims because I was not a provider. So I think that um, definitely prioritization. I'm trying to get better at that even now because we have just launched a digital marketing campaign and we just rebranded. Um, so that's just been, it was, it was a long process, but I think, um, you know, even now just making sure that I Every single day I'm doing something that will push the needle forward. And then the other thing is stop being so busy. Like I don't, I hate taking meetings that could be emails. Mm-hmm. That drives me absolutely up a wall. There's so many memes. Yeah, so people exactly. Get um, I don't think meetings should be any longer than 30 minutes. Unless it's like a webinar or something mm-hmm. like that where it's an hour. Or you have like a ton to talk about and you have to just get through lots and lots of points. So I don't think that should happen. As we scheduled um, you for an hour. No, that this is totally <laughs> different. different. Like like I'm like a like a touch based meeting should no, be I like know. 30 mm-hmm. minutes. It'd be great if you are co-located if you can walk, do a walking yes. meeting. Mm-hmm. Those are really helpful. Um I love walking meetings. Yeah. And I think like just like focusing on what's gonna move the needle. Like what's actually going to like you can work on your company all day, every day. Like what's actually going to push us forward? Um, so we looked into our data and realized that like about ninety percent of our patients are finding us online, and so we were like, "Oh, great! We should just start talking to patients online because that's where they're they are finding us." Um, so that's what led us to doing like kind of redoing our digital marketing strategy and things like that. So I'd rather do that than some other activity that's not going to bring patients to me, and that's ultimately what my goal. So. You're talking about your brand and your digital marketing. That's mm-hmm. totally my wheelhouse. Yes. So I want you to dig a little deeper there. Yeah. Um, so I know I was looking at your website and I really love the new – and I'm I'm guessing this is, this is the newer stuff, but mm-hmm. um, you talk a lot about dignity and comfort mm-hmm. of your patients. Mm-hmm. And I really love that um, – and I love that you, you know, you said earlier, you put your patients as the center and you have to think about, you know, what your patients need. So can you talk about how your new brand and how this digital marketing campaign is centered around your patients? Yeah. Um, so in the new logo that we have on the website now, there's actually a little like emblem of a person. And I love the person because it looks like um, he's flying, right? And like there's a lot of movement in the new logo. And that's really important to us is that, you know, Parkinson's is a disease that restricts your movement. But it, but we have so many patients and I think the spirit of a Parkinson's patient is so phenomenal. I'm constantly inspired by them every day because of their resilience and their ability to, to, to try new things. And so these people oftentimes are more active than I am. I feel like I've, I've met patients who do kickboxing classes and Tai Chi and like, I mean, they're very active and we wanted to honor that. We want to honor the fact that like maybe some days or some moments you're not as active as you would like to be, but on the other days, like you can probably outrun me down the street. So um, we wanted to honor that by having sort of like an emblem of, of someone moving. Um, and then it really speaks to, I think, our 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 key goal, which is like global global brand. Um, we have the brace, but we're also working on a wearable technology with um, sensors and machine learning embedded in the brace um, to track motor symptoms. And so that's something that's been sort of an R&D for a couple of years now. And so thinking about how can we move past just this one sort of flagship product into all the other product offerings that we have done the pipeline. So we just wanted something that would encompass that um, so that when you see like even the A of a bill of life that you know that it's us. Um, so if it's on an app on your iPhone because you're tracking your motor symptoms, like you just, there's a brand recognition there. Um, we wanted something that was approachable, something that was friendly, nothing too stodgy, nothing too medical because this, while it is our, they are medical devices, we wanted to also 
acknowledge the fact that we're coming to people's homes and this is their 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 lives and so we wanted something that they felt comfortable wearing and comfortable bringing into their lives so that's you know sort of the um the thought process behind the the brand redesign I love that yeah yeah it's I mean just so thoughtful in all the pieces right from the very beginning mm-hmm. stage and you know through each, each process that you share with us and then now also with kind of the marketing and the digital component. So I, I, yeah, I think it's fantastic. Thank you. And don't say that you're not active. I see you walking around Highland Park all the time. What are you talking about? I do. (laughs) Yeah. I like, I, I, um, that's one of the commitments that I made to myself. I think that, um, like being active, taking care of yourself, um, is important because I, like I had a like a cold. I went to the doctors and she's like, "Do you need a note for for work?" And I was tempted to tell her yes just because, mm-hmm. uh, but no, I don't. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, I, it, I'm the one running the show, but it's easy to not put yourself on bed rest if you need bed rest, if you need to rest or take a break. So um, I think that it would be sort of um, contradictory of me to be. Pre- providing products to improve health and quality of life. And then my health and quality of life suffers. Um, so I try to be as active as possible, but yeah. So I love that. I'm a big proponent of it too. Pam recently did, uh, was it, would you call it a stretch break? It was a little bit more than a stretch break at the hardware cup. (laughs) What would you, (laughs) jazzercise? No. (laughs) What would you call it? I did. I did a. It was more than a stretch break. I did okay. a stretch break, um, a movement break, if you will. I like. Okay, we can call it a movement, a movement break. break at the Hardware Cup in the spring, and you know it was halfway through between the first part of the pitches, the second part of the pitches. Everyone sits all day at yeah. work, right? And then they're sitting and watching these pitches and fully engaged and engrossed, which is wonderful because the pitches are great, but. It's not good for you. And you know, right? You're working in the space now. It's not good to be sitting all day. Fortunately, a lot of us here at Innovation Works have standing desks, which is great that we have this overwhelming support for more of a, you know, a healthier workplace, right? But so bringing some of that to our events, and we've instituted this in our demo days over the last several years since I've been here. So you're welcome to listeners who attend (laughs) Demo Day and appreciate the stretch and the movement. Your bodies are appreciating it, even if you're making fun of us, and that really should be directed to making fun of me. <laughs> and I can take that. Uh, but again, you're healthier for it. So uh, speaking of health, and, and I thank you for that question, but you're, Courtney, a, a bill of life is part of the life science community. It's a medical product. What is that? Not that you necessarily have a comparison. Maybe you do, but the life science space is really unique. It, in Pittsburgh itself, we ha- obviously have a big commitment to the medical space. And I'm curious how you have interacted with medical institutions here, with other life science companies. What is it like really creating a life science company and as a disruptor, right, in, in an industry that is, yes, innovative in nature, but also kind of set in its ways to a point, especially with insurance? Yeah. Um, I. Pittsburgh is very unique in that there um, we have phenomenal universities that it seems like every other day they're spinning out some sort of new life science technology. Um, We have phenomenal hospitals here. Um, We have insurance companies here. I think that one of the, the challenges in Pittsburgh, and I've been able to go and travel across the nation and meet with other life science companies and sort of sectors, our challenge is lack of funding. And with a life science company, you cannot, I always say this, I always repeat this, I'm not selling t-shirts online. You cannot just throw this product up online and sell it. Mm-hmm. And when you're in the life science sector, you ha- there's so many regulations because it's patients' lives. Yeah. Um, and I don't care if it's like a Band-Aid, right, to a robotic surgical tool. Like it's a patient's life and that's really important. So you there's amount of, of capital that's needed to even launch, to even like even be considered to launch. Um, so 
I think for me, I was able to be pretty savvy in navigating this space and utilizing the funding that I had, which by the way, when I tell investors how much I've raised in comparison, I mean, they just like look at me like I've sprouted 20 heads um, because it's just, it's, I've been very lean um, as I've launched my company and to get a, a product to commercialization with the, the amount of funding that I have is something that I've talked to investors and they just have not seen. Um, so I think that for me, um, that has worked out in my advantage because I learned so much from soup to nuts how a product is launched into the market. Um, but the disadvantage, I think, is um, speed of which to to move forward. So we are so excited about this wearable device, but that is a, a very large regulatory hurdle. So the brace is a class one exempt um, device. This device will be um, a higher classification. The wearable be higher classification. So in order to even be considered uh, to be on the market, there's a number of steps that need to be taken. So I think that for me, what I've seen in the life science space is that it's a very slow process. So if anyone's interested in investing, um, it's a very slow process. Um, so just know that, or if you're in, even if you're interested in in creating a device. Um, and in some ways I like my story, the fact that, you know, I have, my mom had this disease and I built something, but then in the other ways I don't, because I don't want to give it like a false sense of hope that like, oh, if you have this problem, like you can launch a, a medical device too, because not that you can't, but it's just, it's not that simple. That jump is, is not at all easy. And I think I was really in the right place with the right amount of resources um, to be able to navigate that. Um, and just with my own background of, listen, when you're a PhD student, you have to read, like you're reading at least a hundred pages a week, if not more. So reading those sort of government articles and government, like tomes of, 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 liter of literature and regulations, I was used to that. But if you're not used to consuming that much information and processing it, like that is a hurdle within itself. Mm -hmm. So just to be mindful of that. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I think after interacting with life science companies here within our portfolio, we know the time and the commitment and the amount of resources it really takes to get it off the ground. But hearing, again, the steps, I mean, you're so great at identifying, you know, how to get from point A all the way to Z in, in every aspect of this. But even with this, with you know, getting something like that off the ground. It's so significant. Something you said much earlier in our conversation has struck me and I wanted to circle back to it. So forgive me if this seems like a jump, but you came to Pittsburgh to go to Carnegie Mellon University for your PhD. Mm -hmm. So you are not a native Pittsburgher. I'm not. So where are you from and why did you decide to stay after pursuing the PhD? Why create a bill of life here? Yeah. So I'm originally from Baltimore. And most of my family resides still in Baltimore. Um, I went to Spelman College for undergrad, which is a historically black college, all women's college in Atlanta. Studied psychology with the mindset that I wanted to go into organizational behavior. Um, I knew that like sophomore year. So um, I had my eyes set on Carnegie Mellon and was fortunate to get in. Um, had a phenomenal advisor. Um, Linda Argodi, and she studied organizational learning. And I just thought it was like fascinating. Um, why did I stay? Well, I don't know that I could have built a bill of life in any other city, actually, because of the strength of Carnegie Mellon and its interdisciplinary um, mindset. Um, I, it, it's, it's really bar none. And I think that the fact that I could go from a business school to talking with engineers and working with them on their capstone course and that be totally normal is not at all what it's like in other universities. And then when you leave and you kind of get launched into innovation works portfolio and and again, that sort of like close relationship with within the universities um setting, like to me, I, I, I have not seen that smooth of a handoff in any other sector. And I've gone to the Bay Area, New York, Boston, DC, um, the South. I just haven't seen it. And I don't know where it exists. I'm sure it does. 
But I mean, to the extent that, I mean, it's really like a well-oiled machine. So at that point for me, it was almost like difficult to not do it because I was exposed to so much. Um, but I think, I think that's what makes me stay here and what made me build my company here um, versus other places. Yeah. So it sounds like collaboration and, mm-hmm. and cooperation really Absolutely. have been pivotal to mm-hmm. your success in that. And you're, you're saying that CMU really helped launch that. Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. That's really great. And can you talk a little bit about your time in AlphaLab Gear? Um, because, right, that's such a collaborative environment. And I know all the companies that you were coming up with um, there who, you know, you're all going through the same issues at the same time. What was that experience like? So every, like, major founder from, like, you know, the founder of Apple, um, you know, uh, Elon Musk, well, I started building in my garage. Well, Alpha Lab Gear actually allows you to be that proverbial founder that built in the garage because the we have garage bays and that's our <laughs> office. And I don't know if that's intentional or not, but um, I yeah, so I can say I started in my garage. Um, but basically, it was just a really cool class of people who were building physical products, which um, I would later learn was much um there, there's a lot more challenges to building a physical product when you're ready to launch it. Not that like software products um, are not challenging, but like when you're ready to launch or when you need to make changes, like if you need, we had to make changes to our first batch. We had to scrap like half of our first batch. But if you were a software company, that would just be changing lines of code. Um, still, you know, challenging, but you don't have to throw away everything. Um, so that was just amazingly, um, awesome to be able to have companies that are like, we just don't know where to go and get this manufactured or, um, I don't know how to sew this. Like, do you know how to sew this? So, um, that was very cool. I think I liked the cohort aspect. I don't think I was ready to kind of go off on my own. Like when you're studying for a PhD, you are pretty much by yourself, which is great. But this was so new that I really think I just needed like a a group of people who are just commiserating with me. Yeah. I love that. I know. Mm. It's just great. It's like a family. Yeah, very Mm. much so. How often are you in touch with your cohort? Um, So like – I'm in Facebook touch. You know how like you like look at social media and you're like, oh yeah, like I can totally see what you're doing. Cynthia but like has a baby. you haven't talked, yeah, like you haven't like talked to someone in a while. Um, but yeah, I mean, oftentimes we just see each other at IW events. Mm-hmm. So that's like pretty much like when we have little mini reunions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I should just plan a reunion. I we should. should. I should plan. The just I'll bring plan food. Reunion. We'll all come. <laughs> we'll all come. Yeah. Yeah. So our last question for you, um, and I am so like we're friends, but mm-hmm. I'm also just such a Courtney Williamson stan. <laughs> um, like my partner and I will be watching Instagram stories and be like, "What is Courtney saying right now? <laughs> what life lessons can we learn from Courtney?" Um, so, in that vein, is there any advice or guidance that you can share with a budding entrepreneur who might be listening? Wow. A lot. And um, honestly, you've shared a lot. So <laughs> yeah, I think for a budding entrepreneur, my biggest piece of advice with all the things that I've said is to be mindful who you're sharing your plans with. Mm. Because I call, so when I started actually a story with Alpha Lab Gear, when I started, I had no idea what an entrepreneur groupie was, and I'm going to define what it is. Basically, it's a person who is not an entrepreneur, but thinks it's super cool to be one and like wants to be around that environment, but really most likely doesn't have anything of value to offer. They just want the energy that you bring or like the sense of like, oh, this is so cool and, and novel and unique. What happens, as flattering as that is, what happens is that you start to drain your energy and then like the prioritization that we talked about starts to go by the wayside because you're having these conversations with people who like really have no value add to your business, maybe in your personal life or they may be really nice people or whatever, but like for the purposes of what you're doing. 
So I think that the more you start to talk about your company, you're going to get that more. And I had to learn how to manage that. So I mean, at the time I was at Alpha Gear, I was also finishing my PhD. So I really had to be very focused. So sometimes I wouldn't come into the office or for certain blocks of time, but I would be working. I would just, I just could not risk a random person coming in and just like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, that's so great. Oh, your mom must be so proud. I'm like, yeah, but I have to get work done. So do you have connections or funding or do you do you work in this space and the answer is almost always no so that's something that i think that particularly with the rise in popularity of pitch competitions which i am a huge fan of in terms of like being able to just have like public speaking opportunities and being able to to just sort of tease your idea out in front of an audience and see reactions. That's really helpful. Um, when you're first starting out, that's typically when you're the most vulnerable because you're just starting out and it's it's super new. Um, but know that that whole group of people now might recognize you at other events and whatever. And that's great, but be really mindful and be, be strategic about how you use your time. And that you don't have to talk to every, I get random LinkedIn messages all the time from people, random unsolicited emails, you know, be mindful of who you talk with. Um, You don't have to share your plans and your thoughts with everyone. So that's the thing, because then you you do have to make strategic decisions and not everybody around you is going to have the capacity and not everybody is going to really necessarily want you to succeed. Um. So just be mindful of that. I think that's really important. I feel like there are conversations about that a lot of like think about the labor that you're doing when people are asking you to, hey, tell me about what this mm-hmm. is or – and you're going into um, you know, what you're doing and, and it's, it's taking away from your time, which is taking away from your money mm-hmm. and in your bottom line. Um, so I think that's really good advice. Yeah. And it's not to say that you shouldn't. I think that some of the, the coolest conversations that I've had have been with people at conferences or IW events or like after my demo day, I really enjoyed that and, and still continuing to stay connected with them. So I do like that, but be mindful of when you're doing it. And if you, if you really need to keep some things to yourself. Um, so especially just given like the phase of, 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 um, sort of the entrepreneurial journey that you're in. So if you're just thinking about this idea, perhaps keep it to yourself and talk to a couple of trusted advisors as you tease out your idea. Um, and just be mindful of that. Like basically if you don't really want a lot of prying questions, probably about a certain subject, probably don't share it. Um, if, if you do, you know, that's fine. And people are curious and they're interested and that's totally normal, but just be mindful of that. Wonderful advice from a fantastic entrepreneur. So if people want to find you online or on social media, where do, where do they find you? Yeah. So, um, on Facebook, we're just a bill of life. Um, we are on Twitter, but we don't really tweet that much. Um, and you can find us at www.abillalife.com. So you can, if you're a patient or a caregiver or a doctor, nurse, a practitioner, um, you can download a prescription form if you're interested in the brace or if you just want to learn more about us and, you know, see what we're up to. um, I'll definitely put this podcast episode on our website. So yeah, that's where you can find us. Awesome. Thanks so much, Courtney. Thank you for spending time with us. Thank you really great episode. So innovators, remember, and we reminded you of this last season too, as you innovate something great, enjoy that cup of caffeine. Innovation Works is the Southwestern Pennsylvania Ben Franklin Technology Partner. Music created by Ethan Ziegler, Startable alum. Special thanks to our season two producer, Sidekick Media Services.